Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Chase. And this is Jay. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for the last day of August, August 31st, uh, 2022. It's a fifth Wednesday, a fifth week. We got a fifth Tuesday and a fifth Wednesday this week. So typically when that happens, uh, as I said yesterday on the DC podcast, uh, DC Spotlight, the, the a lot of companies will do annuals. They'll catch up on late books. They'll do anthologies. That's certainly what DC did. Not so much the rest. Um, and although there are books hitting in your comic shops, it's a much smaller uh, amount than normal. And so when we stopped and looked at the publishers we get previews from, we literally got like three books until we got the Marvel stuff. And then it was like four or five more. So we don't have a whole lot to cover. Um, so this is going to be a bit of a shorter episode. Um, but there are some good, that, that being said, there are some, some good titles out there. So I'll kick it off with, uh, with Ant-Man. This is the second issue. Al Ewing's the writer, Tom Riley's the artist, Jordy Blair does colors, Corey Petit on letters. I sort of have mixed feelings about this. And part of it is sort of a general feeling about Marvel right now. I've talked a lot in the past about, or I've mentioned in the past, uh, about how Marvel zombies used to always make fun of DC for needing multiple Earths and different versions of the same characters to tell stories. And they would pride themselves that Marvel continuity had never been rebooted and there weren't different Earths and there weren't different iterations of the characters. And then lo and behold, you know, time goes on and we had the ultimate universe and then we had Earth 616, which then meant there were other Earths with different numbers. And then they brought it into the MCU on TV, I think with the Loki series, I think is what, what brought yeah. that. Uh, I mean, I don't watch that stuff, but I think that's what it was. And then all of a sudden it was cool. Right. But they weren't different versions or different dimensions. They had to come up with a cool Marvel name variants. So there's no difference guys. You made fun of DC fans for years for doing it. And now Marvel does the same thing. And, I'm I'm kind of pushing back on it a little bit because here's the thing. As much as I didn't think that DC deserved to be made fun of for doing that, uh, I, and I liked it that DC did it, but I also liked that Marvel didn't. I was sort of on their side in, in a way because it's something that separated the two. And once you start opening up this idea that there can be different versions of the same character throughout the an infinite multiverse, which is the same thing DC has been doing um, – I get that it opens up this idea of the sky's the limit for the writers. They can do anything. They want to tell a story that's out of continuity or doesn't necessarily make sense. Uncle Ben lived. Gwen Stacy lived and got spider power. You can do anything, right? And that is good creatively. But at the same time, if you have more than one version of every character, it sort of cheapens them in a way in my mind. Like they're no longer special. If you have, you know, if there's a thousand different Spider-Mans out there, what, what makes one unique? Why should I pay attention to one Spider-Man more than, a, than another? So it does bug me a little bit that Marvel's falling down that path, but that's exactly what this Ant-Man series is. There's, we're looking at all these different versions of Ant-Man through time, through specific events in both Scott Lang Ant-Man and Hank Pym Ant-Man's, a timeline and it even goes so far in the back of the book to give us some issues like like it says did you like this issue check out these antastic adventures on marvel unlimited and these are some of the events that are touched on as this 
version of Scott Lang is jumping through different time periods of Ant-Man's history. So we get Irredeemable Ant-Man issue one, Irredeemable Ant-Man issue six, Avengers the Initiative number eight, and Secret Avengers number 23, which, you know, some of that stuff has to do with Secret Invasion and the Hank Pym that was actually there was a scroll. And there, there's all kinds of different Ant-Man stories that are referenced. What exactly is going on? We don't really know at this point. We just know that there's somebody jumping through time and they're touching on all these different Ant-Man events for some reason. So it is the 60th anniversary of Ant-Man. That's the reason they're doing this series. But it's not really resonating with me because I'm getting all these different Ant-Man. Like I said, it's not working so much for me. And the other thing is the art from Tom Riley, which is a, he uses a very thick line. His line weights are extremely thick, and it sort of worked for the first issue because it was very much like a throwback 60s issue. This one's not. Like if you if you go back and look at the dates when those books came out that I was just reading, those are relatively recent titles, you know, uh, Irredeemable Ant-Man, certainly Secret Avengers. I mean, that, that stuff came out in the 2000s. Um, this century, I guess, which sounds weird to say, but um, so this this old school art style that he's going with just really didn't work for me. It felt really clunky. It didn't flow. And uh, I, I just didn't I just didn't care for it. So I'm a big Al Ewing fan. Um, I can I'm not Ant-Man. I have no feelings for one way or the other. So I'm kind of waiting for this to click for me. But man, I'm I'm really struggling with the art. I think if the art were better, I'd be more excited to read it. But it's just such a chore. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not for me. I may I may jump off. I say give everything two issues. I've given it two issues. I think I need to go back and reread issues one and two in one sitting if I can find the time. And if not, I may just I may just drop it. Like if this had been a busy week with a lot of books, I probably honestly would have open this up and then been like, nah, I'm not even going to read it. So, uh, and, and, you know, nothing personal against Tom Riley. It's just his art style. Just, it's not something that I, that style is just personally not something I enjoy. Um, you know, people who like Mike Allred and, and that style of art probably love Tom Riley. And they're going, what the hell are you talking about? And that's perfectly fine. Go pick up Ant-Man. You'll probably love it. Uh, all right. Next up, I'll talk about another, uh, Marvel book. It's X-Men number 14. This is written by Jerry Dugan. CF Via does the art. Matt Miller on colors. Clayton Cowell on letters. It, it kind of interesting. It says that it's an axe uh, tie-in, right? Avengers, X-Men, Eternals, Judgment Day tie-in. Um, but it's kind of weird because this takes place while the Hex, these super-powered uh, Eternals are attacking Krakoa. And then we find out there was something else going on in the background that a few of the X-Men had to go out and go on a, a different mission. Um, so it does, this doesn't really tie into Axe. It, it sort of tangentially does, but this is a great story on its own. Uh, a really, really great story. A lot of fun, a lot of heart. And um, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to talk any more about the actual story other than to say if you're a fan of Iceman – Bobby Drake, this is an absolute must read. Love this issue. Was so great. Probably my favorite issue of, of the week. Um, and the art was really fantastic as well. Great colors from Matt Miller, CF Via on the line work. It's just a, a really, really great title. 
like I said, must read if you're an Iceman fan. The name of the title, uh, the name of the issue is Ice Cold. So that should give you all the clues that you need. Uh, all right. Up next, we have one of our Aftershock titles that we've been enjoying. It's Dogs of London, number four. Peter Milligan is the writer. Artacita is the artist. Valentina Bianconi does the colors and Rob Steen on letters. What do you think of this one, Jay? It was good. Uh, when I first read Dogs of London with number one, I really didn't know what to expect. I thought, you know, yeah, it's going to be with London and maybe some uh, gangsters, but that's Aftershock for you. They kind of like go uh, above me on the story, you know? So we got people back from the dead. Um, you know, uh, Frank is an old man. It, this is all, it goes back and forth with the time. It goes back to the past when he was younger to his crew as they were, you know, young and violent to as he's an older man with, you know, with money and power now. So we know that Danny and his crew came back from the dead and uh, we don't know why, but they're, you know, one vengeance, of course, uh, Frank was the man that in charge of the time. So he's the main target. And this one's pretty cool because he, uh, again, has more flashbacks of the past and show why, you know, Frank and Danny had little, uh, they didn't like each other. They, it, I don't know that we can say they didn't like each other. They were friends in the, in school when they were at the boys home, but it shows, you know, what incident kind of changed all that. Um, you know, he doesn't do more research on, you know, what happened and what brought him back. It's, it's really good. I like this story so far. I, uh, I want to see how they're going to, how they're going to end it all and, you know, what happens in the end, but it's, it's been a fun ride. And, uh, I just want to see how, what the, uh, the end of the outcome is going to be. Cause they'll leave you with a nice little cliffhanger that you kind of knew was going to happen, but it's, it's been a fun, fun series. Yeah, the art has been really fantastic as well, and uh, I kind of feel the same way. Like, as Peter Milligan, his stuff can be really out there. You never kind of know what to expect, so I, I didn't know what to expect either, and it certainly started out as this straight-up crime noir story in the first issue, and then they throw in some some supernatural stuff at the end, or, or what you thought was supernatural. Um, turns out a little more, like, science experimenty, I guess you'd say, um, but it does – it works on all those levels. And uh, it doesn't it doesn't ever stray from its kind of crime roots. You know, when you think about movies like um, Snatch or Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, this this really fits in with it. It's super well paced, very violent, um, which is kind of part of the fun. And the art from Artisita is uh, is fantastic. So definitely recommend it. Uh, all right. Let me talk about the other Aftershock book that came out this week. The Ocean Will Take Us, issue number five, Everyone Out of the Pool. This is from writer Rich Duick. Carlos Oliveras is the artist. Manuel Pupo does the colors and Dave Sharp does the letters. So this has been a really fun title. I keep comparing it to Goonies. Uh, and it, it really does have that feel because it's it's very young uh, protagonist. They're in high school. They're going up against this evil corporation. We sort of find out not not we don't get answers to all our questions, but we find out a little bit about the like the black water uh, the cult that seems to worship it and what exactly is going on, where it comes from, what it does. Um, but we don't really get all the answers, although we get a resolution to some extent. So if there isn't any more of this, it is a satisfying conclusion. But really at the end of this with what happens, it kind of opens up a bigger story going outside of the town where this um, oceanic plant that was looking to um, do work with uh preserving the oceans and environmental studies and all that. Um, it, it, it opens up to some other characters and a, kind of a larger conspiracy. So we'll have to wait and see if this sells well enough for there to be more, but in and of itself, it ends up being a really fun ride 
I do wish that we'd gotten a little more characterization on on the five main characters that are sort of this ragtag group of high schoolers that they're, they're not really friends. It's not like they're a gang. They're even from different cliques, but they're kind of all thrown together by circumstance. And we get some characterization early on, but I kind of wish that we'd had more. Um, but I, you know, I realized that Rich Duick only had five issues to put pull this off. And there is a lot of action and a lot of story that's stuffed in those five issues. So um, while I would have liked a little more room for the story to breathe, I understand why it, it was kind of paced the way that it was. So very fast paced, a lot of action, great art. And uh, I hope that we get a, a second volume of it. So I guess we'll have to wait and see if that's going to be the case. All right. So up next for Jay, we have uh, another title that we've both really been enjoying from Marvel. Speaking of variants, uh, this one's called The Variants. It's written by Gail Simone. Art is by Phil Noto and letters are by Corey Petit. And basically, this is a, a story of Jessica Jones and a bunch of her variants that are all bleeding into the main reality. And she's sort of it's like a a super team of Jessica Joneses. So what do you think of this issue? Uh, it's fine. Like I said, I wasn't sure again about this issue, but I just like Jessica Jones as a character. I always thought she was kind of a cool uh, Avenger slash Marvel character. Um, but I guess we got all the variants now. So there's going to be four of them. So there's no spoiler. If you see the cover, it shows four of them. Um, What's neat about this, though, is actually get a backstory um, of each one. On the last issue, we know that, uh, you know, Daryl was kissed by one. And we knew that, you know, for me, we knew that wasn't our Jessica from our universe. It's from a different one. And we get a backstory about uh, that, that story. Um, they each had their own, uh, I guess, uh, disaster in their, in their life. They kind of, you know, uh, kind of made them who they are. And uh, you can tell there's a little bit of animosity between some of them because of, you know, they think uh, one has more than the other because of what they have. Um, but we know there's a big bad. Uh, we know that uh, she's got to kind of uh, hide her family away. But they say why in this because of the other character from the first issue. But it's been fun. Um, I really think one of them is going to the bad guys, but we'll see what happens. You know, I, I don't know if there's another one still hidden, but we do know that. Uh, you know, something happens to her when one comes into this uh, our, this multiverse. You know, she has an, an effect it affects her in some way. But it's pretty fun. It's uh, I kind of look forward to the next issue. It's been an exciting story. I love the artwork too. Yeah, the I mean, Phil Nutto's his art is always fantastic. I'm I don't really know that. I haven't read that many Jessica Jones stories. I never read Alias. Um, Had the whole I'm series. Always, <laughs> yeah, I'm always sort of. I don't know, apprehensive when somebody's a hero, but they don't even have a, like a code name, <laughs> you know, like she's just, <laughs> Jessica Jones, Je Hank Pym has had, you know, a thousand code names, um, you know, like Jean Grey, like what, just give her a freaking code name. Uh, you know, one of them never, they've given Jean Grey so many different ones and none of them have ever stuck. No. Um, so yeah, Jessica Jones, I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. And she never wears a costume. So yeah, she's definitely a different type of, of character. And this is a different type of story, but Gail Simone is weaving it together perfectly. Um, and this is one of those instances where this feels so separate from the rest of the Marvel continuity in a way that I don't mind it. You know, it's not going back and mining a bunch of things like Ant-Man is doing. Um, this is just a story all on its own and uh, at, you know, outside, like I said, of, of continuity. So I don't, I don't mind it so much. Um, 
But then again, that might just be because it's just done so well that I'm kind of overlooking my my bias for these variant type stories. I don't know. Uh, all right. Up next, I'll talk about the debut issue of the latest volume of Thunderbolts from writer Jim Zub. Sean Isaacs is the artist. Yava Tartag... I always mess up that name. Yava Tartaglia is the colorist and Joe Sabino is on letters. Uh, so basically what this is, we know in the Devil's Reign storyline when uh, Wilson Fisk was still mayor of New York, he you know passed a law that nobody could use powers in uh, inside New York City, inside the city limits. And part of the way he policed that was he co-opted the name Thunderbolts and got a bunch of supervillains like uh, Taskmaster and Rhino and Shocker and a bunch of other guys uh, and deputized them. And, and they were his sort of superpowered police force that were going around and rounding up people that were using their powers in the city. So Luke Cage has history with the Thunderbolts. He's now the mayor of New York City. Uh, Clint Barton, Hawkeye, has a history with the name Thunderbolts, and they kind of want to reclaim the name. Um, and and get kind of the bad taste out of people's mouths that they uh, associate with the name of the Thunderbolts because Wilson Fisk, we know, was was doing uh, bad things under that name. So that's where this kicks off. That's where it starts. There's a lot of new characters. At least I think they're new. I think they're making their debut here, quite a few of them. Monica Rambo's on the team as well. We see her on the front cover. America Chavez, who obviously is not new. Uh, the Purple Girl, who's now going by Persuasion. And then we've got a, a couple of new characters along with Clint, Clint Barton. So it's a lot of fun. I, I'm a fan of Jim Zub's writing. I think Sean Isaacs is a very talented artist. So this really hit on all cylinders for me. I thought it worked really, really well. And Zub plants a couple of seeds um, for some more kind of longer plot threads, some sort of behind the scenes nefarious stuff that's going on. Because in, in terms of the main story, it's sort of uh, lighter. You know, anything with with Clint Barton, you kind of expect it to be a little bit lighthearted and jokey uh, and Zub delivers on that. But there are some serious undertones as well um, and just a ton of kind of classic superhero action. So definitely recommend picking it up if uh, if whether you're a Thunderbolts fan previously or not, uh, I think it's it's well worth your time. And then the last Marvel book I'm going to talk about uh, celebrating 60 years of Amazing Spider-Man. We have Amazing Fantasy number 1,000. Now, I, I don't care what math you use. There's never been enough issues of Amazing Fantasy to get up to 1,000. I don't know why. Why don't you just call it Amazing Fantasy, like, 60th anniversary? Like, I don't – like, I know, like, Action Comics hit 1,000, Detective Comics hit 1,000. So then, Mar you know, Marvel's kind of trying to capitalize on that. But it's just – it's dumb. Uh, it was dumb when they did it with Marvel <laughs> Comics. And it's dumb here because there are nowhere near – like, no matter – you count all the volumes, amazing fantasy. You, you're probably you're not even to a hundred. You might not even beat a fifty. Um, so it's it's ridiculous. Just call it amazing fantasy. Uh, you know, sixtieth anniversary or something like that, or amazing fantasy special. I, I don't know why you think putting the number one thousand on there is going to make people want to buy it. That being said, it is a bunch of Spider-Man stories by a ton of creators. Um, they're not so they're listed. As you flip through the book, and this is a long book, 70 pages, um, 68 pages, something like that. So they're all listed on the back, but I'm not going to flip through each story and look because they're, you know, they're not even all on the first page of the story, sometimes on the last page, but they are listed on the back. So I'll read them off. 
Ho Chi Anderson, Kurt Busick, Marco Cicchetto, Michael Cho, Olivier Copiel, Terry Dodson, Neil Gaiman, Armando Iannucci, Klaus Jansen, Ariana Mayer, JP Mayer, Todd Nock, Mike Pasaculo, uh, Rachel Rosenberg, Joe Sabino, Ryan Stegman, Jordi Belair, Giuseppe Camancoli, Jim Chung, uh, Clayton Cowles, Rachel Dodson, a- Anthony Falcone, Jonathan Hickman, Richard Eisenhoff, Todd Klein, Frank Martin, Steve McNiven, Sonia Oback, J. David Ramos, uh, Rainbow Rowell, Dan Slott, and Matthew Wilson. So uh, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I would say overall, most of the stories are really, really good. For me, the two standouts are the Dan Slott story, uh, which just was so much fun. Uh, Jim Chung does the art. Uh, it, it's it's basically Spider-Man 60 years from now, like Peter Parker's actually 60. He's like an old man. So is Mary Jane. And so it's kind of a glimpse into the future and it's absolutely fantastic and heartfelt and everything I would want from a Dan Slott written Spider-Man story shows so much how he really, really understands the character. There's um, kind of a more dark story from Jonathan Hickman that stood out in my mind with art from Marco Cicchetto that I thought was really, really great. And then, you know, Neil Gaiman. (laughs) Neil Gaiman is not somebody I would ever think would write a Spider-Man story. That being said, his story with Steve McNiven art that weaves in some real life events was so touching. It was so great. It shows that, you know, Neil Gaiman for all his uh, very much well-deserved, uh, renowned for being this incredible author. Um, he loves comics. He's a comic fan at heart, you know, and anybody who's a comic fan is probably a fan of Spider-Man uh, and Neil is no different. So uh, that was a really, really great story uh, as well. So those were the three standouts for me. Uh, this is, you know, a big oversized issue and it's not cheap. I think it's probably at least 10 bucks, if not more. So I don't know that I could recommend it. I don't know that it's it's worth that. Uh, actually, it, it's only seven ninety nine. So you know, eight bucks is still a lot for a comic. Uh, so you're gonna have to make up your own mind. Pick it up, flip through it, see if you if you feel like it's worth it. I, I feel like it's worth it for those three stories. Uh, it's definitely a, a fun, um, a fun look at Spider Man from a bunch of different creators and uh, reminds us of why Spider-Man, at least for me, reminded me why Spider-Man is such a great character. And as much as Superman is my my favorite character, man, Spider-Man is such a close second. And there are certainly times in my life where I've read more Spider-Man than Superman, or uh, he's you know been higher up on my reading pile. Um, so again, it's eight bucks. It is 68 pages. Uh, and there's some great, great stories in there. So uh, and that's it, everybody. Like we don't have a lot. Like I said, it's a definitely a smaller week. I'll do a rundown on some other books that you might want to be on the lookout for. We talked about the only two aftershock books that are coming out um, from AWA. We have the end of the Joneses issue number five of five is out uh, over at Boom. House of Slaughter is up to issue number eight already. We also have Alice Ever After uh, finishing up with number five of five and we only have uh, we only find them when they're dead returns with issue number 13 um there is uh a foil variant version of minor threats number one from Pat oswalt which i talked about 
uh, I think last week, which was really, really great. Also breakout number three of four from Zach Kaplan is out really, really um, interesting story, science fiction as Zach tends to write um, from DC. And again, you can go listen to our DC spotlight to hear about these books, a smaller week for them uh, as well. DC saved by the bell rev, which is uh, kind of an anthology with back to school stories, flash, 2022 annual number one, Harley Quinn, 2022 annual number one, Harley Quinn, the animated series, the real sidekicks of Gotham special number one, which is uh, also a uh, anthology with a bunch of uh, Harley Quinn team up stories, Sandman universe and nightmare country number five from writer James Tynan, Superman war world apocalypse number one, one shot, which finally brings the war world story to a close and then Wonder Girl 2022 annual number one uh, from Joel Jones and a host of artists. Uh, over at Image, again, not a big week for them. Ant number five from Eric Larson is out. Hellcop number 10. And the final issue of Loaded Bible, Blood of My Blood number six is also out this week. And then for Marvel, in addition to the books that we talked about, we have... Fortnite X Marvel Zero War number four of five, Gambit number two of five, Iron Fist number five of five, Mech Strike Monster Hunters number three of five, Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi number four of five, which um, I need to read again. So I'm not really up on my Clone Wars and Star Wars lore. So I want to read that again. Uh, That's by that Obi-Wan Kenobi series is by Christopher Cantwell. And I'm really, really enjoying it. And that's as somebody who's not a big enough Star Wars fan to have seen and watched everything. Um, but it does touch on different points in Obi-Wan Kenobi's life and sort of enriches them and expands on the experiences that Obi-Wan Kenobi had in those times. This one's set during the Clone Wars. So like I said, I need to go back and, and read it. And every time I read one of these books, it, it makes me realize, I, I mean, I am a Star Wars fan. I do like it. I do want to consume more Star Wars content, at least all the movies and animated um shows and the the live action tv shows but i just don't know when i'll ever find the time so anyway that's out this week if you're a star wars fan and then uh x-force number 31 also comes out this week and from scout comics forever forward number one of five which is also from zach kaplan which uh, i'm really looking forward to reading that and that is it you have anything else you want to add jay uh, no, I was looking. I just nothing really. It's kind of a short week for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, I will mention one more just because I know it's been a popular series. West of Sundown from Vault Comics is up to issue number five. That's a vampire series that's been pretty popular. So, <laughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Short and sweet. Uh, we appreciate you listening and supporting us as all. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. 
All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.